Dragoons, this episode is about the rank of Staff Sergeant. The yelling and screaming Staff Sergeant, that's, that's, that's the young Staff Sergeant. What's some other references that Staff Sergeant should be looking at? It's the squad leader that has to be multifaceted uh, yeah. by all leaps and bounds. At the same time, a Staff Sergeant sometimes has to be that executor as well. You can run fast and memorize doctrine and everything. It's, it doesn't make for a good leader if you can't sit, eat together, and talk. I'm Command Sergeant Major Michael Burke. I got a little bit of feedback uh, from one of our listeners, and they said that the thing they enjoyed about the podcast, other than the kind of leader professional development aspect of it, was a lot of the stories that I shared on the episode. So in this podcast, when we talk about staff sergeants, I thought I would talk about one of the best staff sergeants I've ever worked with. While we were sitting in RR, Saudi Arabia, waiting for the invasion of Iraq in 2003, we trained relentlessly. Obviously, the heat was pretty sweltering. Where we thought we'd maybe just be sitting for a couple weeks, we ended up sitting for the better part of a month. And the thing that, you know, Staff Sergeant Mark taught me was, as a team leader at the time, was he would sit down and he would have a discussion with us team leaders and he'd say, hey, what do you think we need to work on today? And then from that, we would kind of drive the training plan for the day. Then at the end of the day... We would always sit down as a squad, kind of over dinner, usually MREs or maybe some kind of sea rats. We would sit down and we would talk about the entire day from start to finish. The other thing was, is I was always just fascinated by how much he developed himself. Whenever we would get done, you know, sometimes we'd sit there and we'd maybe play games or we'd watch movies or we'd do something. And he would always participate in that stuff. But he would always slice time away before he went to bed to go study. He was always preparing himself, trying to get better, never accepting that mentality that, hey, I've arrived and it's good enough. We use that time very well. And I will tell you that it, it paid off extremely well when we went into uh, the evasion of Iraq. We did things that we never thought we would have to do. And then we did things that were extremely complex that were in our wheelhouse um, and we we're definitely prepared for it. So that was an example that I wanted to use and I wanted to kind of open up uh, before I ask the same question of all the participants in today's uh, podcast, I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Sergeant First Class Jason Matthews, 2CR Headquarters. I'm the training advisor for the regiment. I'm First Sergeant Christopher Patel. I'm the Maverick Troop of the MICO uh, First Sergeant with the res. I'm Sergeant Daniel Chan, and I am the TASP unit coordinator for 1-2-CR. And before we uh, go back to the original question, I wanted to say something about Sergeant Chan. One, outside of just uh, assuming the roles of the sponsorship coordinators for the War Eagles, he also requested to be on a podcast. Listen, if you want to be on a podcast, you need to reach out to the PAO. I mean, we want the leaders of this regiment providing the content doesn't matter the rank, doesn't matter who you are. You could be a specialist, you could be a private, you could be a major, lieutenant colonel. If you want to be on a podcast, you know, just reach out and we will work you into the schedule because at the end of the day, this is not Sergeant Major Burke, Colonel Ewers, anybody's podcast, but two CRs. Okay, so now the introduction question. What's the best staff sergeant you've ever worked for in your military career? Staff Sergeant Neil Young. This was 4th Brigade, 1st Cav Division. Uh, I was a PFC at the time, about two years into my first tour uh, over at uh, Fort Bliss. He was the honestly the first NCO that gave me an initial counseling and then guided me with monthly counselings thereafter. Uh, so he was the one that developed me as the almost the NCO I am today. Uh, he has successfully uh, retired after 22 years in the United States Army. I do thank him for that. The counseling that he that he gave you, was it what did it look like? How did it go? It wasn't anything that was like typed out or copy and pasted. It was it was a one on one, you know, true counseling of make one ensuring that you are a value 
member added uh, to the team. And then also to, you know, developing you to be the, the next, uh, you know, soldier, the next NCO. It, it was driven not only for personal development, but also, uh, you know, professional development at the same time. That's something that you've replicated throughout your career with all your soldiers. Oh, most, most definitely. Um, and I've even gone above and beyond. And of course, as technology has, uh, yeah. you know, allowed us when it comes to conducting NCOERs, if I have uh, an NCO that uh, when I was a platoon sergeant, I had an NCO graduate uh, either, you know, top of the class in the school, uh, distinguished honor grad or whatnot. Nobody knows that you can actually upload that 1059 to the NCOER as an enclosure. So that way, you know, the board actually sees that when uh, when it comes uh, for convening of uh, staff sergeants for the, yeah, Sergeant the first class board. documentation. No, it's great. Okay. How about you for Sergeant Patel? Yeah, I got to hearken uh, way back to my days as a 13 Fox, but I, I know exactly who that is. It's uh, Staff Sergeant Craig Jacobson. Okay. Um, he was my team leader for uh, almost two years. Uh, first as a Colt when he was a sergeant. Uh, he got promoted to staff sergeant, and we moved over to a, to a B-Fist. And this was uh, with three of these back It's a Bradley Fire Support vehicle. Ah, uh, okay. So just like a regular Bradley, but with some extra gadgets in it. And okay. A lot more comfortable. Uh, so you learn something new every day. Similar to, to Sergeant Matthews, I kind of got passed around when I first got there to a couple of young sergeants, and I finally landed on Sergeant Jacobson's team. There are two things that stick out about him the most. is uh, one of these, He was always kind of pushing all of us. Kind of did the same thing for himself all the time, too. The other thing is he pushed hard on a... Figuring your path out for yourself. Okay. Uh, he, he, you could tell he paving your own path, so to speak. Exactly. You could tell he really wanted us to stay. Every, he wanted to retain people for the army, but he wanted to make sure people were doing it for themselves for their reasons. So understanding their why. Yes, exactly, Sergeant Major. Exactly. Okay, man, I love this stuff. All right, Sergeant Chan, how long have you been in the Army? I've been in the Army just a little over four years now, Sergeant Major. Four years, okay. So process elimination. Whoever's listening to this podcast, you know, it's going to be a couple. They're probably staff sergeants. So we yeah. could ask you to tell us about the bad one. That would actually be super interesting. No, 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 no. We'll no, tell no. you. We'll, we'll come back to that. Only All sunshine right. and rainbows, Sergeant Major. Yeah, right. <laughs> sunshine <laughs> and rainbows. All right. So the best staff sergeant you've ever worked. He came in like a hurricane when I was at 10th Mountain. He had just come in from being a drill sergeant, so he hated all the privates. Uh, but he... Um, uh, he public he, disclaimer, <laughs> drill sergeants do not hate privates. Yes, but. no, they, they do not. They do not. He would hit things on the head, take care of things immediately. I had been going through a couple of things. Uh, I had been trying to go see the chaplain, and he told my team leader, he, he's like... Stand outside the chaplain's office until the chaplain returns. Just day one, he was like, I want to take care of my soldier. And I want to let him know that, like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm coming in and I'm coming in strong. And But he also, he's like, hey, you got a problem, something, we're family, I'm going to take care of you. You know, it brings us right into the conversation. Every single one of you has talked about the staff sergeants and the ownership. It's a key thing that we're kind of talking about here is that we're talking about a bunch of staff sergeants that took ownership of their squads. You know, Sergeant Major of the Army, you know, he's got the the initiative, this is my squad. But your squad's not just the squad. My wife's part of my squad. My children are part of my squad. The RCO, you know, all the senior NCOs that I mentor and everything else, that's my squad. Really what it's about is it's ownership of that sphere of influence that you have. And I think every single one of these staff sergeants, as we're talking about it, they had ownership of their squad. Nothing was bad was going to happen to you because he was going to make sure that you got the resources you need to deal with what was going off on in your head. If you had to deploy to combat, 
he was going to ensure that you were physically capable of handling that in combat because of his physical fitness regime. The training, probably the same way too. He took ownership of all those different things. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is, is that the staff sergeants, they're the ones that, you know, really need to kind of embrace this. This is my squad. What I've seen, Sergeant Major, is, you know, that that team leader, as he's, uh, you know, developing as a, as a sergeant for the first time, he's more directed, focused on execution. Um, but as, as we you know, develop those team leaders into squad leaders. It's the squad leader that has to be multifaceted uh, yeah. by all leaps and bounds beyond their character, beyond their courage, beyond their discipline. That's where they become the leader that they want to become. And that's also where it's the pivotal point of making that decision. Is the army the career for me? Being multifaceted is, is the biggest. And it all comes back down to the, you know, non-commissioned officer academy, you know, the, the words that are always spoken at almost every time, standards and discipline. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the building foundation and everything else is just the bricks on top. You could, you could tie both those things together. Standards and discipline and multifaceted. We, we really count on our staff sergeants to be those people right. that pull those things together for us. Not just a N2CR, but a, think about all your drill sergeants, your recruiters. Yeah. Your platform instructors, oh, man, that's those point. are staff sergeants. You're right. Uh, yeah. th those are the people who are really creating the next generation. And likewise, uh, as a young sergeant, I think every one of us as a young sergeant, we had that staff sergeant we looked up to that we counted on to kind of provide that first level of mentorship. They're, they're the, that's the first people that are really building NCOs for us, too. So you staff sergeants generate the force. Yeah. And they build the, uh, the young NCO corps. 2CR, you think of all these positions we pay out of hide. Most of the time, sponsorship coordinators at the squadron level are staff sergeants. DTS, staff sergeant. Schools, staff sergeant. S3 probably has a collection of staff sergeants that are kind of running the show in there. Now, all non-MTO positions that all troops all kind of gave yeah, up to help yeah, the Yeah, that's a good work. point. So when we talk about that difference, you know, and uh, Sergeant Matthews, I think you put it really, really well. The, the sergeants are the executors. And the staff sergeants are kind of those ones that, you know, kind of oversee that, but they're also expected on some levels. That's when you really start stepping into the realm of the expectation of being the subject matter expert. And I'm sorry, I'm an infantry guy, but I'm, I'm going to give you an example, okay? So I remember in a firefight one time, and uh, I'm a team leader and the other team leader, we're, we're moving through, and it's kind of a movement contact that we're doing. But the squad leader at the time is standing back, and he's kind of looking at things. He, he entered and cleared a couple rooms, but I remember he just takes off right in front of my team, he says, follow me. And we go into this building and, you know, we ended up clearing this building and we ended up actually getting the HVI that we were going after. At the same time, a staff sergeant sometimes has to be that executor as well, where because they're kind of stepping back a little bit from the squad leaders and they're going to see something that those team leaders that are just running and gunning are in the fight, in the fire, so to speak. They're just not seeing what's happening. I didn't see that guy because I was in the middle of clearing a room and the angle for the other team leader, he didn't see him either. That guy actually came out of one of the other buildings and ran into that building and he saw him. So he immediately just re-diverted all of us, led by example, was the first guy in the breach and my team bust an ass trying to get in there behind him because team leaders, they might be at different experience levels. They might both be brand new. They might both be experienced. Shan, what do you, I mean, what do you kind of think as far as talk about the staff sergeant directive? One of the quotes uh, just really came to me as, okay. uh, as I love quotes. This, this room of uh, experience was uh, speaking. It was actually from the uh, infantryman's journal from 1954. Okay. No man is a leader until his appointment is ratified in the minds and hearts of his men. So you talk about, you went back and you referred to the staff sergeant, took you over to the chaplain. There's a lot of different ways to build trust and respect. Yes. I would say that probably following that, he had your trust. Yes. And then, you know, he had the foundation of building respect as well. 
you're not somebody's leader unless they they have respect and trust for you. And there's a lot of different ways to build trust and build respect. But I think we can all agree, um, especially in times like these. I think I think everybody you know needs to know somebody cares about them. And I think a great person to start is that staff sergeant. Well, I don't think Sergeant Shannon realizes it, but you really hit you hit the nail on the head of the absolute easiest way, in my opinion, to do that. Yeah. Uh, because that staff sergeant, he invested in you. He he invested in the squad. Uh, he, he made it a point to make a personal example. That's not always an easy thing to do. For some people, it requires a lot of effort. Um, he made it a point to demonstrate that he cared and follow up on that. He was there with you training. He, he gave you his time. He gave you his energy. He gave you his passion. He invested in you. And uh, that's, that's the, uh, and you, it's easy to see when people do it. It's hard, sometimes it's hard to nail down exactly what investing in people is. When you see it, you know it. Yeah, right. And uh, he really did that. That is the absolute easiest way you can build that respect and trust is to demonstrate to people that you're investing in them. One thing that the RCO talks about, you want to build a little bit of a respect bank, a trust bank. Because guess what? You're going to mess up as a leader, especially as a staff sergeant. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to do something. You're going to fly off the handle or something's going to happen. But if you don't have kind of that repository to go back to, that they're like, hey, that was out of character. Instead, the reverse of it is, is they're just going to lose complete respect and faith that they might have had in you because it was already on the fringe and you're just confirming their bias already. Also, I think the educational value of developing these leaders through throughout the non-commissioned officer academies, one thing that I have not seen, and I even ask this at 2nd Cavalry Regiment Striker Leaders courses, how many people have read, you know, TC 7-22.7, yep. the non-commissioned officer guide? And you would be surprised at how many hands do not go up. And I can understand it from the, you know, specialist, specialist promotable and sergeant ranks. Yep. But when, you know, it's a, an actual staff sergeant that has not opened up that book yet or even know that that book exists. You know, it's it's been written by the Army, by non-commissioned officers that have served way before us yeah. uh, as, as a guide to to assist us in, in leading. And we're, we're one of the very few uh, senior and junior enlisted that actually get a guide like that because the officer world does not uh, that's for a good the respective ranks. No, and, uh, you know, one of the things we we're going to talk about is, you know, what kind of self-study, uh, you know, staff sergeants should do. And I think that, you know, the, the TC you just referenced is a good one. But before we dive into that, there is one other thing I wanted to talk about. You know, we've all seen the ones that have yelled and screamed and that's how they lead. They just yell and scream their way through leadership. And what I found, and this is through trial and error, uh, specifically for myself, is that actually you want to get into a place where I looked at one of my team leaders one time and I said, man, I'm really, really, really disappointed in you. You know, and then I just walked away. And I remember him coming up to me later and with almost tears in his eyes. And he's like, I'd rather you beat me. I'd rather you chewed me out. Please don't ever say that to me again, because that is the worst thing that you've ever said to me. And I find I kind of felt bad. I was like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? You know, and I had to actually like go back and like think, you know, think, what did I say? Like, what did I say to him? And then I, but what I realized was it was actually as opposed to the reverse where I'm constantly yelling and screaming and everything else and eventually they just tune you out. I developed such a calm demeanor that when I just told him something as simple as, I'm disappointed in you, and that served more of a point than any other kind of yelling or screaming or anything else that I could have possibly done to get the point across that I was unpleased with his performance. But that's something you grew into though too. It is, it, absolutely. Yeah. I did not get that right at first, trust me. That was I was a very senior squad leader at that point. The yelling and screaming staff, that's, that's, that's the young staff sergeant who yeah. hasn't figured out how to yep, do that yet. Absolutely. 
Now, if they're still doing that when they're a senior star, uh, staff sergeant, about to yep. be a sergeant first class, then we've got some problems that are going to work through. You know, but first sergeant, that's the reason we do professional development stuff. One of the reason we do these podcasts is we are trying to get people to make that professional development leap quicker so that they don't spend that first year being that yelling and that screamer, maybe the first couple of months because they're just overwhelmed and they don't understand right. you know, what their job is, but then very quickly they realize that's not what I need to be, especially when you translate that into combat. If you are yelling and screaming in combat all the time, you will lose confidence of everybody. People will not know when you're serious, when something's serious or when something's bad's gonna happen. And they will also mimic that behavior. And pretty soon you'll just, your whole squad will just be running around screaming and yelling all the time and it'll add chaos chaos. I want to say just, just with the, the inverse side of that, that, that staff sergeant is very, very calm and very stoic. People also emulate that behavior too, and it'll help create some, yeah. some calm in that, in those chaos yeah, absolutely. moments, those combat uh, scenarios. Okay. So let's come back to uh, self-study. Sir Matthews, you referenced one TC. What's some other references that staff sergeants should be looking at? Uh, so definitely integrated weapon training strategy, uh, which was launched last year, uh, it's TC3-20.0, um, is, is, is one of many uh, that fall in line with how we train and how we fight on the, on the battlefield. More specifically, how we train and how we keep those training and cert certifications and qualifications current. Uh, the other one would be the Individual Weapons Qualification Guide, which launched uh, late last year as well and has uh, been actually refined this year. It's uh, TC3-20.40, which is, uh, covers not only the M4A1, rifle, but it also covers the M249 saw yep. and also the pistol. One conduct the qualifications, various ways to execute the qualifications. And it all falls in line with ensuring outside of being physically fit and all your physical fitness, how you actually operate as a team with the weapons that you have at your disposal. First time Patel. Yeah, I, I want to take the other half of that coin. You talked about the, the good doctrinal reading. Um, I want people reading their unit SOPs. Okay. I want people reading their unit SOPs because Every unit operates just very differently. Even striker BCTs will operate very differently based on their uh, own Well, especially where they're at in the world. We are very different than any other SBCT. That makes a huge difference. And if you're out there listening, you're saying like, oh, all my SOPs are out of date. So so get your SOPs up to date. Yeah. Don't, don't wait for somebody to tell you to do it or somebody else to do it. If you identify that problem, you can fix it. And you can help set that tone for how your unit operates. Those SOPs are super important because of Culturally in the army, we have a bad habit of kind of disregard building something like that and then sticking on a shelf or sticking on a share drive and forgetting about it. Yep. And it, we're not doing ourselves any favor when we do that. As a staff sergeant, a great place to go is if you don't know, especially when we talk about like the unit stuff, go walk up to your S3 shop and ask them, hey, can I get their latest copies of this? That's a great place because they are going to be in the co-op section. They're going to be the ones that are going to have all that documentation that you're looking for. And as far as the doctrine, while well, ATN that's where you go. Whatever you're in charge of, you're going to be able to look up all your metal tasks. You're going to be able to look up, this is what the you know TLNOs are for whatever kind of unit that I'm talking about. Sorry, but I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, okay? I appreciate it, and I'm sure it was a lot of fun, but I was watching this squad leader, and he posted something on social media, and he was basically doing like a three-gun challenge on a range. So, or a rifle shoot, then they would do a pistol shoot, and then they would do a shotgun shoot. Cool. I'm sure John Wick would be extremely, extremely proud. But at the end of the day, we don't need soldiers to do that shit. Uh, we just don't. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. A team leader, an 11 Bravo team leader, he might need to be able to manipulate his pistol and his rifle. And if he's a breach guy, okay, he needs to be able to do a shotgun. But not like that. But really the point that I'm trying to make is, is that if I asked that same squad and I went and pulled one of those privates and I took them out to a basic wall range, how would they shoot? How do their ammo pouches look? 
Can they change their magazines from the prone? Can they get to all these different ammo pouches and these ammo things from the prone? Okay, cool. They can do them standing. I will tell you that most of the time you're not doing this stuff standing in combat. Okay, yes, great. They all looked really cool doing this three-gun shoot, but at the basics, I guarantee you it was a shit show. Uh, so sometimes, you know, you need to dig into the books. They exist for a reason that, because that's what we need you doing. In combat, if you think your skill level is where it, it's not, that results in people dying. It really does. Before we start talking about outside the box and all the things and all the fancy things you can do outside the box, you better understand what's in the box first and you better be a master at it. So sorry, kind of went on to tangent there. It's kind of one of those pet peeve things. But uh, Sergeant Chan, what are you what are you currently reading? Uh, Five Levels of Leadership by John C. Maxwell. Okay. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Okay. And uh, one of my favorite sayings is uh, leave it better than you found it. You know, as a task B coordinator for the War Eagles, I inherited from the uh, my predecessor. I have very big shoes to fill. Yeah, um, you do. He <laughs> he did a, a phenomenal job. So it's, it's just like, hey, uh, is there anything that I can improve? And uh, as everyone was talking about, like, hey, you know, these TCs, this doctrine... So TCs and doctrines are, are written by NCOs. If you see something that is wrong uh -huh. or something that is not working the way that it, that it could work, you know, maybe you can add to that TC or add to that doctrine and make the uh, make the uh, wheel just get it greased a lot better. I, I guess you could say um, maybe it's not going to be something that you are. It's like, well, I'm only here for three years and, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm going to talk about this to whoever it is. Uh, it's not going to be in, uh, instituted whenever or taken into effect when I'm here. So no, that's not the proper way to think. In, in my in my view, it's like, hey, if I can do something or if I can start the change, then maybe, hey, five years from now or 10 years from now, you know, soldiers can start benefiting from this program. I kind of got all that just from the five levels of leadership. Yeah. Uh, it's always good. You know, never stop learning. Staff Sergeant Sir, listen to this. You better watch out, okay? Because Sergeant Chan is coming for your job. Um, <laughs> you got some good recommendations there, and there's a lot of different things. In fact, maybe you could actually start your own podcast. John Maxwell is a great resource. Uh, 360 Degree Leadership is probably by far one of my favorite books that he ever talks about. Because sometimes as a squad leader, you don't think you're in control. But you have more power as a squad leader than you realize you do. It's all about the delivery. It's all about how you communicate with your peers and your superiors. And the trust and the respect. Um, because as a staff sergeant, that's where you really start to realize that, hey, you have influence. And you can actually shape your entire troop and everybody else. Um, you just need to understand how those relationships work and uh, when you're uh, within the lines, when you're without the lines. You know, the staff sergeant population, you are raising future NCOs, staff sergeants, sergeant first classes, first sergeants, and you are fundamentally the baseline they will establish their leadership on. They will emulate you. They will emulate the good or the bad. You don't get a choice in that matter. Everybody in this room remembers their first squad leader. Shoot, I, think, I think every single one of us like talked about our first squad leader. Yeah, right. That, yeah, that was yeah. the staff sergeant we yeah. all went back to. In good and bad ways, you know, and you want to be the good one. I would hate if somebody was like, so, you know, yeah, Staff Sergeant Burke, when he was my squad leader, I just did everything opposite of he did because he was just a terrible squad leader. That's not what you want. What you want is, is they're emulating the good things and they have tons of things to put in their tool bag of what they want to carry forward when they get to that position or they become an NCO as they go through their leadership journey. And it's absolutely a journey. Digging into doctrine and understanding all the different things that Sergeant Matthews was talking about, absolutely pivotal ones that because 
You might, okay? You might get done being a staff sergeant and you're like, enough's enough, I'm getting out of the army. Okay, but what about all the soldiers that you raised? Eventually, they're going to go to combat. Eventually, they're going to be the leaders of our army. How did you prepare them while you were their leader? I cycle it back around. You, you invest it. Every day you go and you show up and you invest in your people. Yeah. If, if you're doing that on a daily basis, you're, you're, you're going to win. Yeah. All right, so a couple, uh, couple questions and everybody can kind of comment on it. What's the biggest challenge you ever faced as a squad leader? I had the uh, the quintessential, why is this soldier in the army? How did they even make it here, soldier? Oh, uh, when I was a squad leader in Korea, for the record, an absolutely gifted specialist. She uh, she came to the army with two bachelor's degrees. She's incredibly smart um, and had she came in to pay off her student loans and just had no business in a uniform. I still do not know how she made it through basic AIT. Every dumb private thing you can do, uh, she did it consistently to leaving her whole wallet, including her ID card and ID tags on a bus, uh, to walk away to having to get counsel to put camouflage on the field, being unable to qualify on her signed weapon, uh, needing multiple attempts to qualify, and just, just having a, a really bad attitude. She was a very challenging, and I was a squad leader as a, a very young in the rank. So uh, how'd you handle it? I went, to, I went to my first sergeant for advice. He gave me some pointers. I worked with her. I, I tried to uh, get an open dialogue between the two of us. And once that that communication flow opened up, things got better. And uh, and she kind of turned around a little bit. She was a little more receptive to additional training, especially marksmanship training, because she was, wow, she was a horrible shot. I can I can still see the her qual attempts. In my head, and this was uh, 17 years ago. But yeah, just just getting out, just talking to her and working through things, we managed to get through a lot of stuff. You talk about being a staff surgeon, you leading NCOs and you're leading soldiers. It's where you really kind of cut your teeth on liter different types of leadership styles. Because you're not gonna, you're gonna have to talk to every single one of your soldiers differently. You're gonna have to coach. You're gonna have to mentor every single one of your soldiers differently. And as a squad leader, you're gonna learn those lessons. I'm sure you did some things that were unsuccessful. Yeah, you know, um, in that process. But eventually you found a happy medium and uh, got some tips and, you know, you're able to turn around and make it successful. I don't know if she ever turned out to be a successful soldier, but um, she, uh, she ended up staying in the army a little longer. She became moderately successful. I'll call it that way as an NCO, okay. which is, which is nice. A lot of that has to do with the, the staff sergeant picked her up after I left. Uh, he was, he was pretty awesome too, but I will say up to that point in time, so I just reclassed out of a uh, field artillery and I grew up in the same kind of old, old school mentality you kind of meant, uh, grew up in where that, that shouting staff sergeant, right? Yeah. I was that guy at that point in time and it was just completely ineffective with her yeah in, in a weird way i over a lot for that because she kind of forced me to grow oh, as a leader yeah. how about you sir matthews i think the, the most challenging was uh with 316 cav brigade at fort benning being a staff sergeant and being a platoon sergeant as a staff sergeant for about 18 months uh prior to being pinned uh, sergeant first class uh just due to the you know the army has a shortage of, of personnel period being put in that role and trying to figure out exactly all right now i have these 54 soldiers underneath me um going through chapter process which that was my first of like 19 times uh you know d dealing with the ucmj actions coming up with training plans establishing training plans uh mind you you know 316 cab brigade we don't have platoon leaders so it's really the platoon sergeant is the single role and really? the single point of failure uh you know that's below the the troop commander in the first sergeant all I could do is think back to, you know, the conversations that I had with, uh, you know, Sergeant Sergeant's Major uh, prior to uh, that I served with and also first sergeants uh, thinking, all right, hey, this is exactly how we accomplished, uh, you know, this back in the day. But, oh, you know, boy. having having that, you know, the, the mindset of, you know, figuring out and accomplishing, you know, the day to day tasks and the goals, it was it was it was challenging at first. But, you know come with uh, ingenuity and innovation, uh, you know, that's where, you know, you can adapt and overcome. 
My biggest challenge is a staff sergeant. So I'm a new squad leader, uh, you know, and I'm trying to kind of build the team, getting ready to deploy again. Uh, and at this point, I don't know, it's probably deployment four, maybe five. And uh, so we have a, a cookout, great time, great food, great people and everything else, just kind of building the team, you know, because I was pretty new. And uh, a couple of uh, the soldiers' uh, parents were there as well. Uh, wanted to see, you know, their, their kids before they deployed. And uh, we're getting ready to leave and I'm getting ready, uh, you know, to walk out the door. And one of the moms pulls me over into a side room and she says to me, please protect my son bring him home alive. The weight that put on my shoulders, okay, I was probably 22, maybe 23 at this time. I don't even remember, to be honest with you. So I had multiple deployments before this, but it never, ever quite hit me. I don't remember exactly what I said. You know, I'm sure I probably had some bravado, you know, ranger, you know, kind of, bah, we're, you know, we're the best, we'll be fine. You know, I've trained these men, bah, 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 you know. But afterwards, in the car, and then the drive home, and everything else, I just remember like everything that was going through my mind. Have I trained enough? Have I done enough? Are they really ready? Am I ready? And I just remember that night not being able to sleep and sitting there just thinking about all these different things that we weren't ready for, I wasn't ready for, and that I needed to be better and I needed them to be better so that I can make sure that I brought every single one of my soldiers home uh, from that deployment. And uh, I will tell you that that was a very challenging time in my career. As a young sergeant, just you know, being a team leader, I should have been thinking about that, but I, would, I didn't. I never, no one had ever put that to me that way. Do you, th do you think you would have been more effective though if that, if that weight had just been on yeah. you the whole time? Yeah, you know, I don't know, you know, and that's a, that's a good question. But uh, I do remember that it, it definitely made me formalize a lot of things. I needed to really plan training. Okay, so Sergeant Chan, what do you want to see? Staff sergeants, this is Sergeant Chan, one of your soldiers, okay? And he doesn't just speak for himself. He is speaking for all sergeants. And Second Cavalry Regiment, no pressure, right? <laughs> you can run fast and memorize doctrine and everything. It's it doesn't make for a good leader if you can't sit, eat together, and talk. Yeah, there's that private that has the, the problems at home. He just got married, or he's been married. He's having that uh, those problems at that three, four, five year mark, or that yelling NCO is not going to help the situation very much. If you have experiences, please, please pass it on. Uh, don't disconnect. Some of your soldiers are going through things. If you yourself are going through things, be upfront about it. That honest conversation with your squad, with your team leaders, is going to mean a lot more than just giving them the cold shoulder and just be like, I got to deal with this on my own. I'm not going to talk to anybody about my problems. You know, that's, yep, be transparent. And that's how you and your, that little family that you have right there as your squad, you are going to grow, you're going to become stronger. And any obstacle that comes your way, uh, is you're going to be able to take that head on. First Sergeant Patel, you got anything you want to kind of close with? Uh, just a, a, a quick story okay. uh, from uh, from my more senior staff Sergeant days that might be irrelevant uh, during a surge time frame. Deployed and I joined a section uh, on division headquarters that was already in place. Uh, most of them were multiple, had multiple deployments uh, under their belts already. The section was very burnt out. I had expected to come in as a staff sergeant. I worked for a sergeant first class, and I arrived there, and there was no sergeant first class. Yeah. I was now that person. Man, I made a lot of mistakes uh, yeah. during that uh, during that deployment. My uh, my closing thoughts of the staff sergeants out there: 
you're going to make mistakes. That doesn't mean being risk adverse. You have to take risks. You're going to make mistakes. I caution you about staring backwards at your mistakes because if you're constantly dwelling on the things you did wrong, it'll be very hard to move forward. Kind of embrace that they happen, learn from them, and uh, you'll be able to build a successful team and continue to grow professionally, which also hits on another point we talked about earlier about that constant progression and that constant growth. Uh, none of us have it down. And 22 no. year star major sitting across from me, he's still trying to grow. Uh, yeah, 21 absolutely. year first star, he's still trying to grow too. Um, don't ever lose that. Don't be afraid to make mistakes, but don't dwell on them either. So, you know, First Sergeant Patel, that's that's the nature of our Army. Uh, Sergeant Matthews, you talked about it. You know, I was a Staff Sergeant Promotable, Weapon Squad Leader. Toon Sergeant got injured, got medevaced all the way to Launch Duel, and then back to Walter Reed. Literally on the mission, one of my squad leaders handed me another radio and said, hey, you're the platoon sergeant now. You know, you never know when that's going to happen. I didn't expect that that day. And then all of a sudden, walked back and... Coming back from that mission, I was now the platoon sergeant, and I was a platoon sergeant for the rest of that deployment. So you need to be preparing because you never know when you're going to have to step into that position. And Sir Matthews? Just, uh, you know, one closing comment, Sergeant Major. Uh, the most passionate leaders, they affect change for the good, not only down in the, to, to the lower ranks, not all, all the way down to that private, but also up. Up can be unlimited. It can go to, you know, the height as, as far as high, as high as general. We're all here to learn. We all learn something new every day as, you know, Sergeant Major learned what a B-fist was uh, about an hour <laughs> ago. The fundamental words that everybody hears, it's coach, teach, and mentor. And that's, you know, everybody has has a part and an aspect of that. So you talk about people being passionate and they can influence just multiple iterations up. Sergeant Chan over here was able to brief the chief of staff of the Army about sponsorship. And the reason was, is because of how passionate he is about sponsorship in the War Eagles um, and how he's already made changes and just done a phenomenal job. You probably talked to him for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, just about sponsorship and integration and welcoming uh, new soldiers into the 2CR family. And, you know, here's, here's some feedback you didn't probably get uh, since then. Uh, General Cavoli told me he spent almost 30 minutes talking about you and how passionate you were about it and some of the things that you were doing uh, to integrate 2CR soldiers. And then he also asked us to share um, our best practices as far as an organization goes uh, for sponsorship. And uh, we're currently working on that and we're doing a bunch of staff work on that to outline how 2CR has been successful but specifically, you know, the War Eagles um, and some of the things they've done with sponsorship. You talk about being a strategic corporal or sergeant or insert the rank. That's exactly what we're talking about there. Well, hey, first, I just want to thank you guys all for coming on the podcast. You guys are remarkable. So kind of in closing, staff sergeants set the daily habits. Uh, they need to do it for themselves and they also need to do it for their squads. Uh, you need to own your element because ultimately you're responsible for all that they do. Set the standards and the discipline and let it be your watchwork. Hopefully, this podcast has helped you professionally develop and will give you some tools to be the best staff sergeant that you could possibly be and also be the staff sergeant that the Army needs you to be. This is Dragoon 7 signing off.